1 Corinthians chapter 15. Some of you are already rejoicing when we started this way back in the spring. You never thought we'd make it to chapter 15. Uh, But here we are nonetheless and excited to be out of chapter 14. Just kidding. Just just a little lightheartedness. I want to take just a minute uh, for us to get our bearings. We're We've been in a, a series in 1 Corinthians, starting with chapter 1, verse 1, working our way all the way through to the end, and uh, we're in chapter 15 this morning. But I want you to, to remember back, way back at the beginning, when I said that Paul was writing to address 10 separate distinct problems in the church in Corinth. That's why he's writing this letter. Some of these problems were told to him by people from the church, and the rest of them were, were actually written in a letter from the church. The church was asking Paul for his insights on particular issues that they were having. The very first issue that Paul addressed was who the Corinthians should boast in. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, they were were picking their favorite teachers and their preachers, and they were saying, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, Well, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. And Paul addressed their first problem with the gospel. He spent some time in chapters 1 and 2 talking about the gospel. He reminded them that when, uh, that, uh, when he came to preach to them, he preached the cross, which is the wisdom of God for salvation. He preached Christ crucified so that their faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but would rest in the power of God. Fast forward to where we're at this morning in chapter 15, and Paul's about to address the tenth issue, which is that some in the church are denying the resurrection of believers. And again, Paul addresses the problem by reminding them of the gospel. What I want you to notice about that is that Paul uses the gospel as bookends in this letter. At the beginning of the letter, Again, at the end of the letter, there are these strong statements of the gospel. That indicates to us, as the readers of the letter, that this is very important to this letter, that he begins and ends with it. So our passage this morning is focused on the gospel because Paul wants the church, the church in Corinth, and us to be focused, first and last, on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his overall emphasis in this letter. It's about the gospel. So follow along as I read the first 11 verses of chapter 15. This is the word of God. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, 
he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. If you want to follow along in the sermon outline that you have, you'll see this theme. Everything we are and everything we do should flow out of our conscious realization that Christ died for our sins and rose on the third day. This is the gospel in which the church daily stands. Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel, and it's, he first says the gospel that Paul preached and that they received. Now, we know, no shocker here, the church in Corinth is arrogant. They are arrogant. They are so arrogant that you would think that they came up with much of Christianity all on their own. All by themselves. Look what we came up with. We're so bright. And Paul is repeatedly reminding them that they have actually received things. Paul actually has to tell them that they had received grace. That they had received peace. That they had received sanctification that they had received knowledge, that they had received wisdom, that they had received the indwelling Holy Spirit, that they had received the grace gifts. In chapter 7, Paul confronts them over their pervasive pride by saying, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it, as if you came up with it on your own? This is why the Corinthians are so arrogant instead of humble. This is why they're so self-promoting instead of Christ-boasting. Because they think the Christian life is all about them rather than about Christ. Because they've forgotten that they had received the gospel when Paul preached it to them all the way back in Acts chapter 18. And just before this, at the end of chapter 14, Paul asked them a little sarcastically, was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the ones that preached the word of God to me? He follows that here, reminding them that he is the one who preached the word of God to them. And they are the ones who received it. It didn't happen in the opposite direction. It happened because Christ sent his apostle to them in Corinth to preach the cross. And when Paul says they received it, he means that they believed it by faith and were converted by the gospel. In chapter 1, Paul wrote, I give thanks to my God always for you, Corinthian church, because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ. And, then, and he adds that their testimony about Christ was confirmed among them. They're believers. So Paul preached the gospel and they believed the gospel. And by this gospel, they're being saved. If they will persevere in believing and living out this gospel. That's what it means to stand in the gospel. So, what is the gospel that Paul preached to them? As we read this, it's not fuzzy. It's not vague. It's not unclear. It's not the second, third, or fourth thing there to remember as Christians either. The gospel Paul delivered to them is to be of first importance. And it's a precise statement. 
Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. So the Gospel has something to do with Christ's death, something to do with Christ's burial, something to do with Christ's resurrection, something to do with his appearing, and something to do with the Scriptures. There are really two main points if you want to put them together in this formula. Christ died and Christ rose. Christ died and Christ rose. Emphatically. Point number one. On the cross, Christ suffered, bled, and died as a sacrifice for the Corinthians' sin. He satisfied God's wrath, bringing about the forgiveness of their sin. And his death was evidenced by his burial. His sin-atoning death was in accordance with the Old Testament Scripture. We could go to various places, but Paul may have easily had in mind Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Point two, on the third day, Christ rose from the dead. This is the good news of Jesus' life-giving resurrection from the grave, which is evidenced by his appearing to many. The reference to the third day is a, is a pattern found in the Old Testament in various places related to new life. And again, Paul may easily have in mind Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 11. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. So this suffering servant in Isaiah 53, who's crushed, will be raised and see the fruit of his works. So the gospel Paul delivered to the Corinthians has two clear basic points. Christ died as evidenced by his burial, and Christ was raised as evidenced by his appearing to many. It's that second point, Christ's resurrection, that Paul's going to emphasize. But first he lays out these truths about the gospel to the Corinthians. That it's given, and so we but receive it. That it saves, and so we should stand in it. And that the gospel is of first importance. It's of first importance in the church. It's of first importance in the life of every Christian. There are always a lot of really important things going on in the church. There are always a lot of really important things that we should be thinking about in our lives. But the gospel is always the main thing. The Corinthians have forgotten that. This whole letter, the previous 14 chapters show us that the Corinthians have forgotten that. And Paul reminds them and reminds them and reminds them. And he emphasizes this now in the resurrection. See, there's a resurrection problem in the church in Corinth. So in verses 5 to 11 here, Paul emphasizes that the resurrection is an integral part of the gospel. It is in there. It is baked in. You don't have the gospel without it. Not the gospel that Jesus delivered to Paul. Not the gospel that Paul delivered to the Corinthians, which is the gospel that the Corinthians received and in which they're to stand and in which they're being saved. And he emphasizes this by cataloging Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. The resurrected Jesus appeared to 
12 disciples, the 12. And he mentions Peter by name. Because Peter's kind of like that, that first leader among the apostles. Since some of them in the church also say, well, we follow Peter. We follow Cephas. Well, he's, he's doing a little name dropping. Well, <laughs> if, you're, if you're following Peter, Peter saw Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus appeared to a crowd of over 500 at one time. And although some of them have fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for the fact that they've died, when a saint dies, they've but fallen asleep because they're going to be resurrected. Most of them are still alive, which means you can seek them out and hear their first-person eyewitness testimony about seeing Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus appeared to his half-brother James, the son of Mary and Joseph. He wrote the book of James. Perhaps the Corinthians will be impressed by James because James was highly regarded and the leader of the Jerusalem council. And saving the most relevant for last... Relevant because he's the one speaking in this letter. Jesus appeared to Paul. And Jesus appeared to Paul, he says, as one untimely born. Which could mean a couple of things. First of all, while all the other appearances took place before Jesus' ascension into heaven, remember? With all, all the apostles and all the people. Uh, Paul's took place afterwards. It's untimely in that way when Jesus appeared uh, to Paul on the road to Damascus after his resurrection. Or... It may mean that while the others were all followers of Jesus who wanted to believe in the resurrection, they were looking for him. When Paul met Jesus, he had no intention of meeting Jesus. <laughs> he was heading down to Damascus Road to kill Christians. He was not a searcher. He was not a seeker. He was untimely born in that way. He was persecuting Christ in the church when he was born again in an untimely fashion. Either way, Paul highlights the grace of God in his life and calling. Paul says he's the least of the apostles. He's not an apostle because of himself. He's an apostle because of the grace of God given to him. He's very clear about this. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. You know, we read those words, and, and, and in a surface reading, we're often told, well, well, Paul's just kind of boasting there, isn't he, in himself? Isn't he talking about how much work he did? You know, how he's an apostle and all that stuff. But that's, that's not the case at all. Look at the words carefully. He's boasting in the grace God has given to him. Look at his words. He doesn't say anything against the other apostles. He says something about the grace of God given to him. The Corinthians may not have taken advantage of the grace of God given to them, but not so with Paul. It's evident, it's evident in the New Testament, brothers and sisters, that he worked harder than all the other apostles in what he did and what he accomplished. It's just evident but he's saying this to the Corinthians for the Corinthians' sake. He is what he is by the grace of God. And he has done what he has done. Not at all by himself, but only by the grace of God given to him to do it. Paul has not squandered the grace of God in his life. It's God's grace that has built up the church through God's apostle. The transformative factor is not Paul. 
It's God. It's Christ's grace. That's how Paul's defining himself. I am what I am because God's grace has made me what I am. I do what I do because God's grace has empowered me to do what I do for God, for the church. It's all about grace. Remember, the Corinthians foolishly had favorites among their apostolic preachers, remember? They made everything about themselves. This is who I like. This is what I do. This is where I go. This is who I'm suing in public courts this week. They made everything about themselves instead of about the gospel, which is of first importance. But Paul says, whether then it was I or they, pick your favorite preacher. So we preached the gospel of the resurrection, and so you believed by the grace of God. By the grace of God. That's how Paul starts out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. To remind the Corinthians of the gospel. What is Paul reminding us of this morning? I have four or five things. I think I've collapsed them back down to four. It was up to six at one point, but I think it's four this morning. The first is that the gospel is of first importance. Christ Fellowship Church, the gospel is of first importance. The Corinthians were obsessed with their individual individual personal spirituality. You and I get that way sometimes. Each wanted to be seen as more spiritual than the other. Their spirituality was self-focused, self-directed, and for self-gratification. They lived their Christian lives for themselves. Can't you see them gathering for church on a Lord's Day morning? Right? Here, here I am. Here I am to serve God. Here, here I am. Going to use my spiritual gifts this morning. Get out of my way. <laughs> I'm busy being a super spiritual person. Can't you see them pushing their way to the Lord's table, elbowing each other to move ahead in the prophecy line? Their obsession with individual personal spirituality had eclipsed the glory of the gospel in their lives and in their church. Their Christianity was not about Christ. It was all about themselves. As a result, their worship had become chaotic. They replaced the Lord's Supper with their own supper. Their marriages had become relationless. They were treating brothers and sisters as if they weren't a part of the church at all. It's gotten so bad that the apostle is writing this letter, correcting their understanding of basic Christian things and instructing them in basic Christian behaviors, issue after issue after issue, that are dividing the church. Surely they didn't set out this way. The Apostle Paul was with them for 18 months, preaching the gospel, establishing the church. Surely they didn't start out this way. Surely there was a time in the beginning when the gospel was of first importance, even in their daily lives. But it all happened anyway. And so here they are in Scripture as a warning to Christians and to churches in every age. Look at how the church is presented today in this age. The Christian life is all about me, all about my service, all about my worship experience, all about my sanctification, all about my gifts and how I serve the church, if I choose to serve the church at all. 
if we're not careful, we can go for long stretches of time living our individual Christian lives, expressing our individual Christian spirituality that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ at all. So we have this bent towards individualism. And without meaning to, our lives can daily not reflect the gospel. And collectively, maybe without even realizing it, we become a church that doesn't reflect the gospel either. Your sanctification is important. Your service is important. Your worship is important. But there are not to let these things eclipse the gospel in your life or in the church. Because even these important things can cause me to focus on me. And they can cause me to try to make you focus on me instead of focusing on Jesus Christ. You know, it's as if this whole letter, exhortation after exhortation, has been building to this one critical, central, overwhelming exhortation, which is really a rebuke. Remember the gospel. You need to remember the cross. You need to remember Christ crucified, dead and buried, risen and appearing. This is the heart of Paul's letter. This is the beating, blood-pumping heart of the Christian life, the gospel. We want to know the same things that the Corinthians want to know. What does it mean to be truly spiritual? What does it look like to really live the Christian life? And so Paul's answer to us is straightforward. You must live according to the gospel. You must stand in the gospel. Every single day, you must consider of first importance Christ crucified, dead, buried, risen, and appearing. Brothers and sisters, that will do a lot for us. If we would do that, that will help us to live as one body in unity in the bond of peace. The church, that would help us to fend off individualism and self-focus so that we could actually be the church of God in Christ. And it would help us to fend off the weak gospels that are so easily accepted by much of Christianity today. You know they're out there, you've heard them. Paul says the gospel is of first importance. And that first importance is a daily first importance. You need to believe in the gospel every day. You need to believe in the gospel every day. First. It's a simple thing, isn't it? But we get distracted by other things. We we look and we become attracted to the world and the things in the world. We become absorbed with ourselves and our own experiences as we go day by day because that's what every aspect of our society tells us is right. And we just become these individual operators. That's why verses 1 and 2 is a rebuke and not just a change of topic. This is not just an introduction to a new topic of the resurrection in chapter 15. After everything Paul has written in 14 chapters, he rebukes them saying, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel 
I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This is a very sharp, laser-focused rebuke. It, it, sounds, it sounds kind of benign. It doesn't sound that special. It's a rebuke. It's an unrestrained rebuke. It is so unrestrained that it makes us uncomfortable and it even worries us because these are the words we hear. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We don't use the word vain a lot. Vain means empty. It's empty. If you've believed an empty gospel. In chapter 1, the Corinthians valued the popular speakers of the day. Remember those sermons? They valued the popular speakers of the day. It didn't matter what those speakers said. What mattered was the way they said it. Paul warned them that that approach to the gospel would empty the cross of its power. Do you remember those words he said? You will empty the cross of its power. See, the power of the gospel is in its content, not in the gifts of the speaker. The greatest preacher, if he goes light on content, will have empty believers. They will have believed in vain. You know, what really grieved Paul about this is that the Corinthians were defining Christianity in terms of themselves, in terms of their practices, in terms of their own gifts, their own knowledge, rather than by the gospel. They were ashamed to talk about the cross, an instrument of torture. They were embarrassed to say Christ crucified out in public, a penalty for the worst of criminals. And quite frankly, we haven't gotten over that in our day. We can't say we've gotten over that. Today, many Christians can't give a clear statement of the gospel or what it means to be a Christian. They can't or won't say Christ died and was buried. Christ rose and appeared to many, all according to the scriptures. They prefer a broad gospel, a vague gospel, a softer, more palatable gospel. A gospel that doesn't offend. A gospel that won't bring shame upon the preacher of that gospel. That's to be avoided at all costs. And Paul says, you're not standing in the gospel I preach to you. If that's what you're saying, you're not standing in the gospel I preach to you. Because I preach Christ crucified. Stand in him. Preach the gospel that actually has the power to save. Not an empty gospel. You have to preach the cross and the resurrection. What about you and me? When you set out to preach the gospel, what will you say? What will you say? Is it enough for you to say that Jesus died? No. Everyone dies sooner or later. Is it enough to say Jesus died on a cross? 
No, read your history books. Thousands of people died on Roman crosses. That's not a gospel. You must say that Jesus died on a cross for your sins. That's what Paul says. Jesus died on a cross for your sins. Why don't we want to tell people that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins? Because that necessarily ties Jesus' death to our sins. How do we explain why Jesus had to die? Because of my sin. We can't be broad. We can't be vague. We have to be specific. We have to be clear. But it's, but it's, more, it's more convenient to forget those things. Because we don't want to sound like we're addressing someone else's sin. Let me tell you about Jesus, oh, and we're going to address your sin. And all of the ways that you've rejected God. And all of his laws that he set up for your good and your well-being that you've transgressed. And how it is that you've offended the creator who gave you life. We don't want to tell them that because of their sin, God's wrath will justly fall upon them. But Jesus died is not the gospel. Jesus died on a bloody cross to take God's punishment for my sin upon himself in my place because I'm a sinner and you are too. That's the gospel that the apostle delivered to the church. His great act of love and devotion and sacrifice not only satisfied God's need for justice but his desire to show mercy you have to get up every morning and say that to yourself you need to wake up and say Christ died for my sins. The Corinthians got up every morning saying, I've got a spiritual gift. I've got spiritual knowledge. Get out of my way. I'm going to go serve God. One way is all about you. And one way is all about Jesus. We can, we can actually go through life thinking we're living the Christian life and we're not. Jesus died for our sins and was buried. Our sins are paid in full. There is no further sacrifice to be made. Jesus paid it all. And that's just the first part of the gospel. It's the sin atoning death of Christ. The second part is that Jesus was raised on the third day. Now, it's not hard for us or the people we know to believe that people die. It's very sad, but it's understandable, isn't it? Because it happens all the time, even to people that we love. The experience of losing someone we love makes, makes death especially real to us, but also all the more understandable. And so it's not hard to understand death or burial. Most of us have been to a funeral and watched the coffin as it was lowered into the ground and covered with dirt. And we grieve, 
and we mourn because we understand death and burial. But when Paul says that Jesus rose from the dead, that's something totally different. How do we understand that? Nobody's ever seen that, not among us. We don't understand it. We haven't seen it. Oh, we, we pretend to see it in movies and TV shows and think that there's a walking dead and all those things, but we don't really believe that. That's impossible. So the resurrection of Christ from the dead is a demonstration of the power of God who alone brings life from death. It's a demonstration of God's power and of his grace. That he did not abandon his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the grave. God the Father is, is reacting. He's responding to the completed work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And Paul will tell us that Jesus is only the first fruit of the resurrection. Here's hope that all who believe the gospel will be resurrected from the dead. As he was on the third day. And he will bring us all home to God. Paul's going to make that argument as we go further into chapter 15. Jesus was raised on the third day and he appeared to many to authenticate his resurrection. There are eyewitnesses. So that we who believe need not believe in vain. That is the apostolic gospel. So in the end, what does that mean for us? That we're to live in the grace of God that he has given to each one. The Corinthians wanted to know what it meant to be spiritual. We want to know what it means to live the Christian life. We want to know these things, and Paul is answering that for us right here. The gospel is of first importance. There's your answer. You must believe the gospel every day. You must believe it precisely in the death, burial, resurrection, and appearing of Christ who has accomplished the forgiveness of your sins. And now, how shall we stand in this gospel? How shall we live? Well, Paul tells us. He says, by the grace of God I am what I am. Paul, how do you live this Christian life? Well, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. That's your identity. You are who you are in Christ by the grace of God. That's your identity. What identifies you now is that Christ died for you and was buried. What identifies you now is that Christ was raised for you and has appeared and will appear again. You see, the gospel changes the answer to the question, who am I? You know that old, that old slaver, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace? You know him. This is how he summarized his Christian life. I am not what I ought to be. Not what I might be. Not what I wish to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But I am not what I once was. A child of sin. A slave of the devil. I think I can truly say with the apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
The grace of God affects not only who we are, but what we do. Paul tells us that as well. Paul is telling us, <laughs> Paul is telling us, I, I did what I did by the grace of God. It wasn't me. It was the grace of God. It's the grace of God who made me who I am. It's the grace of God who allowed me to do what I could do. And, and so Paul's kind of telling us to get off of one train track and onto another. When we're like the Corinthians and we're on, we're on one track, we're so, we're so often on the track of living our Christian lives, our own individual lives, and doing, and serving, and reading, and praying, and all the things that we're doing, and they're good things. But Paul says you're on the wrong track. You need to, you need to shift tracks. Now, now, don't go off the rails. <laughs> Stay on the rails, but you need to shift tracks. You need to shift tracks to the gospel as a first importance track. And your life will be completely different. So he says, shift over to this track. Stay on the rails. Shift over here. Christ crucified. Run down these rails. Run your life down these gospel rails, and you will get to the destination that you want to get to. And you'll get there in the way that God wants you to get there. Wake up every morning, not thinking so much about yourself, but thinking about Jesus. And when you make the gospel first importance in your life every single day, you'll find the grace of God making you more like Christ every single day and making you more edifying to others around you, which is what the grace of God does in a person. So everything we are and everything we do should flow out of our conscious realization that Christ died for our sins and rose on the third day. This is the gospel in which the church and all of her members are to daily stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the content of the gospel who is a person, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sin-atoning death on the cross where he suffered and bled and died in our place, that we might not suffer your just wrath upon our sin. Thank you for his life-giving resurrection from the dead, that we might have hope and resurrection power in our lives now and in the life to come. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.